0: You're listening to Relationship Coaching with Rachel, episode 57, where I talk to my friend Megan about her book, The Selfish Hour. I just want to say that this book really spoke to me because as a relationship coach, as a teacher of meditation and yoga, I absolutely know how important it is to create that sacred time for yourself. So Megan, hi, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I am good. Thank you so much for having me on today. I'm so excited to be
1: here. And I was curious if you were going to attempt my last name or you just said Megan and let it go. (laughs) Megan, just Megan. So, yeah, it's Megan Weiss Heipel. That's how you say that difficult last name. I would have messed
0: that totally up. Everybody
1: does. <laughs> Everybody does, but it's all good. Um I married a German man. My maiden name was Phillips. It was nice and easy. And then oh, that I was is easy. <laughs> so in love, so I changed my last name. But had I known what I've been doing today, maybe I wouldn't have changed it, but I'm proud to uh, proud to have it. So but yeah, I'm like, super
0: excited to be on your podcast today yeah i know we have been we've known each other for a little while but before we get started i would love for you to promote plug anything that you've got going on all the socials all the things so go for it let's send some plugs love it so something i am extremely
1: proud of and excited about is i have my first book coming out may 3rd it is called the selfish hour It is four, maybe even five years in the making that it has taken me to get this book out. And we can get into this a little later, but I just had so many negative stories in my head of like, you're not a writer. Who do you think you are? You're not ever going to publish a book. And you know what? I've overcome every one of those stories. May 3rd, you can find it on Amazon or anywhere you can buy books, is The Selfish Hour. Or if you want to sneak peek into it, you can go to my website, which is Megan, M-E-G-A-N speaks, dot com, And you can download the intro and the first chapter of the book to get a sneak peek, to get a feel for it. If it is something that you're into, because it's really about how I was able to transform my entire life in one hour a day. And in that one hour, I just really focused on my mindset and shifting all those thoughts, but it helped me to walk away from my corporate job at 37 years old with two small kids being the breadwinner of my family to then starting a business, getting everything, having really crappy years, <laughs> liquidating a 401k to make myself survive financially, but then getting to a point now where I have created this amazing life for myself. And I always say I created a life from a life I didn't want. Yeah, I was already living in that life and I was like, I don't want this work life that I have. So I created a life that I really truly wanted from what I didn't want.
0: I had the opportunity to read those first pages and that first chapter. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be so good. I cannot wait to get my hands on a copy of your book. So yeah. Thank you. May 3rd, make sure you order it. I yes. will, yeah. Um, and I let my husband read a little bit. And he's like, oh my gosh, where can I get this book? I'm like, what? That's so cool. So, so total yeah. side note before you go there, because my husband said that too, because
1: I really, my focus has always been on women, especially like working moms, women, because that's who I, that's who I am. So that's where I thought my focus was. And then this weekend I was, my husband kept telling me, Megan, you appeal to more than just women. Like your message resonates with me and other men. And I kept like kind of blowing it off. And then I do a keynote speech this weekend. um, And mind you, there was only four men there out of the 300. All four of them made a point to come up to me, one in tears, saying, you have helped me so much. But it just really made me think, I was like, oh, do I appeal to more than just women? So it's having you say that your husband said the same thing. It's got my wheels turned.
0: Talk a little bit about how we connected, how we first met, and um, we've kind of been fast friends ever since that moment—the
1: very first Zoom we were on. So (laughs) when when was it? July of twenty one. So almost two years ago, we both were getting our life coach certification. Yep. And the very first Zoom that we were on, there was ten women in our coach all over the world, like it was literally it was our so zoom was filled but each of us had to share like a couple of minutes about ourselves yeah. and as soon as you shared i i don't even know i think i even said it when i shared i was like i want to connect with rachel like i just want to I connect with know, her yeah. <laughs> she's my people I just resonated with your message and kind of your past history and where I was at that time. Cause at that point I was six months non-drinking. I was alcohol free. And I was like, I totally resonate with you and where you are and let's connect. And that started the friendship that has never stopped.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I love telling people that I get the privilege of coaching and a volunteer coach for, um, a group called women who don't drink and I love it. And A lot of us, I mean, there's a little bit of shame and like, oh, I have some struggles with alcohol. I'm like, there's no shame. It was literally promoted to us. But from the time we were little until like now, I just think people have um, more awareness and more choices now than we ever have. But yeah, so we connected straight away. We got to coach each other. I feel like I'm coach training. I'm like, everybody knows everybody's soul, you know, issues. Um, We know all the skeletons in everybody
1: else's closet. And I think the part for me that was so awesome. It's a judgment-free zone. Like whatever you tell me is totally fine and safe. And we're going to help you shift your mindset around it in the present day to help you move forward. And that's, what's great about it. And what I love with you was there was a moment that I had a breakdown because my husband had COVID, and I was full time taking care of the kids, and there was just all kinds of stuff going on. And I still had wine in my house, and I was like, "No one's gonna know. No one's gonna know if I just have a glass of wine to escape how I'm feeling right now." And I messaged you. I was like, "I need coaching right now. When can you talk?" Right. And like the next morning, we were on a call.
0: Yes, and it was good. that's the beauty of what we have. That's the friendship there. And I think coaching helps us create. I mean, humans are compassionate. I think anyway, but it it helps you create even more compassion because on the other side of that call there, there's, there's the person that you're like completely trusting with your story and with all of your crap that is going like all of your own judgments that, you know, you may have about like, I don't know, your partner or your parents or whatever. And you're like, I shouldn't be thinking this way. But on the other side, you totally trust that person not just giving you advice, but just really like saying it's okay. Like, yeah, they just Mm -hmm. got human brains and this is what they do sometimes. So yeah, I love that we connected. I feel like we've been friends way longer than two years, but that's another story. Well, what was it like for you growing up?
1: So I am a small town country girl (laughs) from Northeast Ohio. And when people see me now, they're like, you did, you live where? What? because it's not how I show myself these days. But yeah, I'm a small town country girl. I grew up on a sit on 75 acres. So it was like, yeah, huge. But it, my parents hunted a lot of the land. And like, I'm saying I graduated 57 people. So it was really small town country. But and this is what it kind of leads to the book and to um, the way I grew up. My father's a functioning alcoholic. And Now, so is my one brother and my older brother turned his back on the family because everybody drank and like, there was a lot of dysfunction there, but I didn't know it was dysfunction. I just thought it was normal. Like, this is what it is. Like our family drinks. And if you don't drink, you're odd. Mind you, my brothers are 15, 11 years older than me, but I just grew up that everybody drank. Like that was your normal. Okay. That was my normal. And honestly, I didn't know it was abnormal until I was in my twenties and I had moved away to go to college in Philadelphia. And I started to meet more people from all around the world. Obviously in Philadelphia, it was very like an international hub. And when I started to tell people like, well, you don't have a beer with dinner. And they're like, no, you don't like, you could have a glass of water. And I was like, that's weird. That's weird.
0: <laughs> wow!
1: Yeah. that was- I didn't know it was my normal. So that was the way I also learned to cope with things was to drink them away. Like we don't deal, we drink. And that is, that's just what I thought. And I also realized that when I had finally moved away from my family and I met my still now best friend that I met in college, she was very deep and talk about your feelings and let's sit down and really have a conversation. And I was like, this is so awkward and uncomfortable. Because until her in my 20s, I had never started a sentence with the words, I feel like this is how I feel about something. Because when you are raised in an environment where alcohol is in the middle of all of it, Mm -hmm. alcohol is to void yourself of emotions. So my dad was an emotional person. So my mom then became a codependent in that space. And anytime like something would come up or would be tough, he would be like, just you stop that crying. Like, stop that crying. Like, don't do that. Don't like, basically don't feel.
0: <laughs> yeah. How dare you, Megan? How dare you
1: feel? Stop that crying. So that's just how I learned to cope was like, you don't cry. You don't feel you just have a drink and it'll all go away. Even Snoop Dogg says it have a Corona on the beach <laughs> and all your troubles will go away. Yeah, We think that,
0: let me ask you this. Cause this is something that I see. Um, Do you think just looking back that although alcohol was to void things or help you avoid or your family avoid things, do you feel like it was, I'm, I, you know, I'm a visual person. Um, like it's the centerpiece of the table. 100%. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, that is like, that's just what we have every day. I made a great connector, right? I
1: made a comment one time and I can't remember where I was speaking. I don't know if it was on stage or where it was, but somebody asked me something similar. And I said, if you pulled away our like family, like an onion, there'd be a bottle of beer in the center.
0: Oh my gosh. I love that.
1: Like that's really kind of how I see it. Yeah. So when I was in my early twenties, I had come back from visiting my parents in Ohio. I was back in Philadelphia. And the only thing I would do with my dad is drink. Like we would sit around and we drink, but I thought that was our relationship. Like, Mm. hey, we drink and we get a little saucy and tell stories and whatever. And that to me felt totally normal. And then I come back to Philadelphia one time and I was like, oh, I'm tired after a six hour drive back. I'm going to go to the bar and have some beers. Like that seems normal. And all of a sudden I was like, I'm my dad, like I'm turning into my dad. And I didn't like that feeling. And I started to mess up at work a little more because I was partying all the time. But to me, but also I had surrounded myself with friends that that's what they did. We we found our first job out of college. We finally making a little bit of money. You have your own apartment. You're living in Philadelphia. You can walk to everything. So you felt safe. (laughs) I'm like walking to bars, which is fine. And then we would party cause we had some money. And then I just started to realize, I'm like, I don't want to turn into, to that. So I stepped away. I put myself in AA for six months and really tried to figure myself out. And, and it was really, I think that was the first time though, in that journey that I realized that my dad could be labeled as an alcoholic.
0: Like to me, oh, he like was just never some... seen that really before.
1: No, no. My aunt actually called me up when I said, Hey, I put myself into AA. And she's like, the first thing you have to deal with is that your father's an alcoholic. Like you've never dealt with that. And then I realized, Oh, I'm an adult child and an alcoholic that doesn't know how to handle. I've never been emotional. I don't have any emotional coping skills for anything.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And I was 24 at that time. Wow. So that was really my journey. And it was more in that six months. It wasn't so much about, Hey, mom, Megan, I have a drink. You probably was like, how do you feel? How do you, how, what is this feeling inside of me? Like, I don't even understand. Is that happy? Is that sad? Is that anxiety? Is that like, what are these feelings? So it was really about learning that stuff. And I tell my husband with our daughters, I'm like, they should teach this in school. Like how to, how can they understand not your emotions? Yeah. Like, I don't want algebra. I want you to understand <laughs> your emotions. and like in- All the other things. Correct. And that's why like there's so many issues for people now because they've never been taught the right coping mechanisms to deal with your emotions as you get older.
0: So was there like a, a big like pivotal moment that I I finally realized I've voluntarily been crawling on broken glass and then I woke up. Were, were there any of those times or did it happen like gradually? Was there like one thing or is it like, you know, I'm just not feeling that great. So I, after six months, I went back to to drinking because I was like,
1: I just need to go through Al-Anon and I need to process that I'm an adult child and an alcoholic and go through it that way. So mm-hmm. I was still drinking, but in my head, I was like, I have it in control, right? Our I'm control. Weird. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm so good. So <laughs> fast forward to about two years ago, and it wasn't that drinking was an issue in my life, but again, I was using it to escape or to numb things. To not deal with things but not to a point of like damaging my marriage or damaging my career or anything like that like just just to take the edge off right but two years ago i was doing i do dry january every year but then i was sitting in my office towards the end of january and i can only explain it as like i felt like there was this tap on my shoulder And I just started crying. I just started bawling, like a primal cry that was coming from my soul. And I knew what I had to do. I knew that I needed to, it was time to stop alcohol forever. Like it was just time to deal and to learn and to face the emotions and learn how to process them correctly and all of that. But I was scared because that's one of the things that connected my husband and I. We would sit down on Friday nights and we would have Prosecco Fridays and we would talk about our dreams and have all these amazing conversations when the kids went to bed or watching sports and having a beer. And I was like, if I take that part out of our marriage, like how will this affect it? So I took me three days before I even told him this, that I wanted to take a year off. And he gave me some pushback.
0: (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yeah.
1: Well, he was supportive, but he's like, he's, he's a collegiate baseball coach. So he has this mindset about like, if you commit to something, you got to do it.
0: Oh, okay. So, like, so, so serious. there's two
1: parts to it. Cause you can make a decision to do something, but then you have to follow it up with a commitment. So I had made the decision to quit drinking, but I still was wavering on that commitment part. And he's like, if you do this and you take a year off of drinking, like you have to commit to it. And we have all these vacations planned. Your best friend's turning 40. You have a girl's trip. Like, how are you going to do all of this? Yeah. Timing. Wow. And I, cause everything, this was 2021. So this is the year after the pandemic when everything got canceled the year before. So you rebook it, everything for the next year. And I'm like, oh yeah, so this is a lot now, right? <laughs> so I did, I did it till March. And then I was like, okay, if I can make it till March, I can make it till July. If I can make it to July, then I can make it to the end of the year. And now it's been two years and three months that I haven't had a drink of alcohol. And it's the best decision that I ever made Cause I felt like it was on my terms. Like I chose to do it and it didn't come without struggles. It didn't come without, you know.
0: It's not like you're I, never going to want it again. You know, I think a well, lot of I, are like, oh, I'm just going to quit. It'll be so easy, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, wow, I didn't realize how much, you know, how many bottles of wine I was drinking a week or whatever. Well, my
1: joke is I was like, what do you do with your hands on a Friday night? Like, I don't know what to do with my hands.
0: <laughs> There's a, there's a bit of like, you know, you might feel lost without it. 100%. And, And me holding a bottle of water didn't feel right either.
1: Like I was like, I just don't want to hold a bottle of water. So it took me, here's an interesting part of it. It was probably like eight months going alcohol-free before I wanted to have non-alcoholic drinks, meaning like a non-alcoholic beer, non-alcoholic wine. Because in my mind, I was like, if it's not going to take the edge off, why would I do that? Like I
0: couldn't. Yeah, we're not really doing it for the taste.
1: (laughs) I wasn't doing it for the taste. I was doing it to escape some feelings that I didn't want to feel. So. It took me a while, but now I have my non-alcoholic beers. I have my non-alcoholic wines, my non-alcoholic Proseccos, cocktails. I have everything that I enjoy. So when we go to weddings and we go to functions, I bring my little cooler bag and we have our stuff and all of our friends and everybody knows that the white disciples don't drink because my husband ended up doing it with me and he went alcohol free as well. He did it at first to support. And then I was like, well, why are you doing this? Like I know my reasons, but like, (laughs) what's yours? And he's like, I've never felt better. Like my insides feel so good. Yes. And he's also um, a certified uh, strength and conditioning coach. So he's always in the gym and he's like, I could see the difference in my body when I removed the toxins and just focus on my health. Yeah. So he's like, I could see the difference in it. So yeah, now we show up, we have our own like little cooler and everybody's fine with it. And they know that it's our, it's
0: our thing. Yeah. And your friend turned 40 and you know, the world didn't end because you weren't drinking. Right. I, it was tough at moments, but it was yeah. also one of those, like
1: every guy, every girl around me was like hammered. And I'm like, is that what I used to you're look like?
0: Drunk chick? Yeah. You're like, that was me at some point.
1: I'm like, I'm okay. I'm good.
0: I'm good. I see firsthand. Were you also a little bit um at some point concerned that you were going to pass this stuff along to your two girls?
1: 100 and i didn't want them growing up in an environment and not that my childhood was bad by any means because right. i didn't know like i enjoyed it i didn't know the difference yeah. until my 20s and now i'm dealing with it in my 30s and 40s <laughs> to learn how to feel again or for the first time even so i didn't want them i have a 10 year old and a seven year old daughter And I didn't want them growing up in that environment because it also is hereditary. It runs in their blood. So if I can teach them how to process things and teach them, like, I'm never going to tell them, no, you shouldn't drink, but I'm going to let them know my story. Yeah. And their dad's story, my husband's story, like they will know that and they will understand, but I hope that I'm teaching them that having alcohol in your life is not the only way to be happy and have fun.
0: And you're teaching them how to feel
1: teaching them how to feel. Yes.
0: It's a beautiful thing. It really is. I think this is, I love where we are right now in the feelings world.
1: It wasn't until my mid, no, probably in my forties. I said that I actually felt a feeling from beginning to end. My gut feels sour. My hands are sweaty. Like I'm feeling very anxious. Like my heart is pounding, but guess what? It goes away. Like there's a beginning to it. There's a middle to it. And there's an end to it. But for me, when I would feel anxious and I suffered with anxiety for a big part of my life, but that's why I, I had two vices. One, I would go to the gym first thing in the morning, because that to me, like set the tone for my day to deal with my anxiety. And at the end of the day, I would have a couple of drinks because that would like Even me back out.
0: Look, your bookends. It was my
1: bookends, and I thought it was a well machine. I thought I had it all figured out. Like Like, I found the secret. This is the secret. You get up really early. You go to the gym, and then you work hard all day. You have some drinks, and if you have too many drinks, the gym is like the eraser in the morning to like get you right back on track. You sweat it out, and you go again. Like genius, I thought. And in my twenties, it worked. I'm not going to lie, it worked but then I ended up in AA too. In the twenties.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's, it yeah. worked to a point. What was your relationship with your mother? Like
1: my, I, my mom's a saint. Like she put up, well, cause she has a husband. She, my parents have been married for almost 60 years. I think they're at 59 years was okay. January. So they have been together for a really long time since they were like 19. And she's a saint from what she's put up with with my dad yeah. then my two brothers so my oldest brother went estranged from our family for 30 years 30 because of my dad's drinking like okay. when he got married young and had a kid he's like I don't want my children around this so my mom sided with my dad like this is my husband unconditional love If you choosing another way sides with my dad my other brother, more like my dad, um, workaholic, alcoholic, like just kind of right in that space. And then I come along like the loudest, the most expensive kid there was. And my mom <laughs> was all about me. She took me to, I was in every single dance, gymnastics, everything as a kid. So our relationship, even to this day, I talk to her daily on the telephone, but it's actually very good that our relationship is over the phone. I haven't lived near her for 20 years, I see them a couple of times a year. And even before I see them, I have anxiety. Like I already create scenarios that are going to happen before I see my parents, because my mother, my mother and I's relationship is very good, but sometimes I feel like the parent in the relationship.
0: That is really, really common from a lot of women that I hear. I mean, listen, my, my big thing is our mothers were our first relationships and they're going to that relationship is going to drive our other relationships and we really i just like you can't escape it. it's not like all moms are bad or all moms are this one way or another way but i what i've seen and talking to so many women is and some men too like they really set there's a set point and sometimes you have to be the adult and i hear that so much I have to be the adult now, whether a parent is not physically well, or just like, oh, now we know our feelings. Mom's not interested. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Or, or another reason, but I think it's really important to touch on like that mother daughter relationship and just how really how that looks for, for all of us women.
1: I I realized with my mom was she still has an insecurity that she didn't go to college. Now you're going back how many years? So it wasn't that a lot of women were going to college. She went to cosmetology school and she was a hairdresser her entire life, Mm -hmm. but she would always make these comments and still does like, oh, you need a college education to do that. Or even like, I don't know, working my cell phone, trying to teach your 80 year old mom how to like work an iPhone. You're like, oh geez. But she's like, I don't know. You need a college education or how do you find the map to to put that in there to get your location? And I'll show her six times. But I just realized that her insecurity of doing that had rubbed off on me as a kid. And I didn't even realize it because my like core story that I I always tell myself is that I'm stupid. And it wasn't until years later that I would look back and I was like, no wonder why my mom was always cutting herself down. We mirror it.
0: We really do. So I did
1: it. So I'm really trying to never do that in front of my girls. And anytime they say something like that, I will try to change their story and help them rework that. Not that everything has to be rainbows and sunshine and look at everything positive because you can't know positive if you don't know negative, Mm. but it's just really understanding how they work together. The other piece that I realized that I've done opposite. So my mom was always about fitting in and not like, To the extreme but like this is what everybody else is doing like let's do this and let's do this like it wasn't even about your individuality it was just like oh this is the current clothing trend or this is this and she would just have me with all of that which i didn't know was was good or bad i didn't have any feelings towards it till now when i'm older i'm all about with my girls like You don't have to do what everybody else is doing. Like, wear your superhero costume. Yeah. I don't care. Like, do your own thing. And my oldest daughter is a huge Harry Potter fan. And in Harry Potter, there's Luna Lovegood, which is like the unique girl, like just kind of following, beating to her own drum. And we're all about Luna Lovegood in our house because it's all about your uniqueness and celebrating. And my girls are always like, Mom, you're so weird because I'll be dancing in the kitchen (laughs) and whatever. I'm like, we embrace our weirdness in this house. Like this is your unique. That's what God gave you. Like own it. Don't try to fit in. Be your own person. And that was something I was never taught, so I really bring that to my girls now. And just I did a keynote this weekend and somebody said to me they're like, "You're so funny on stage." And I'm like, "Really? Like that is that's not a compliment. cat ever. <laughs> it's not a category I ever like I can say some funny things, but like when I was just in that environment, like my uniqueness and my body mannerisms of things made it funny, but that was just me being me. It's it's embracing that weirdo part of yourself and not shying away from it and allowing that part to shine. And then everybody loves it. So the way the selfish hour came about, I was working in corporate and my husband was actually in between jobs. We could say unemployed at the time. He's a collegiate baseball coach, but he had left the job he was at because he didn't align with that. So he was kind of a as like a stay-at-home dad at that point. And I was the breadwinner and I felt really good about taking everything on. Like I was like pro woman, I got this, like I can run the house. I can bring in all the money and I could do this and I could be the mom and I could do that. And I did it for about a year, maybe a year and a half. And then I just hit this point And some stuff had happened at work where I realized, like, I'm just a number. Like, they don't actually care about me. Like, they're putting on this good front, but they don't truly care about me in this position. And I came home, and I started to talk to my husband. And this is the basis of the book. My husband and I got into an argument. And I realized when I would go into an argument, I would everything about me would change. My voice would get soft. My shoulders would slump in and I'd be like, you're right. I'm wrong. You're superior. I'm inferior. Like I would say these things. He didn't do anything to do this. And I just realized like, this was like this cocoon safe space that I would go in. And he goes, Megan, you're in charge of million dollars at your job and tons of people. And yet you act like this. He's like, why do you do that? And that day I heard it different. I go, why do I act like this? Why do I act like this? And that is literally the catalyst that started the selfish hour. Cause then I'm like, who am I? Like, why do I act like this? Why do I think this way? Why am I in this job? Like I started to question everything from him just saying that, that one day. And so I realized that I needed to work on myself, but my day was so much about everybody else. It was about kids. It was about work. It was about dinner. It was about, like, there was no time left in my day for me. So that's why I got up an hour earlier than my family, 5.30 to 6.30. And I just started working on myself. I started journaling. I started meditating. I literally the first day Googled meditation for beginners. Like, okay, 10 minutes, solve my problems, put my AirPods in. Like solve the problems and I sucked. Like I couldn't stop thinking about why is this and I got to pay the bills and I got to do this and da, da da da. Like it was a total journey, but that's where it started. And I did that every single day for two years straight, and that's what changed my entire life. And I started to figure out me. I started to look at our relationships, and what I realized was that base story, that core. I called a core red light story that was stopping me of I'm stupid. That's what would become present in those arguments I had with Nick, because I look at him, he's very smart. He is intelligent. He is commanding of his presence. And when he would say something, I would instantly go into this little 11 year old me. And I'd be like, you're right. I'm wrong. Like, and I would go into that place. And that, I didn't even realize that 11 year old me was still there. Like our inner child part. I didn't know who she was. I didn't know it was there, but that's through this, my selfish hour. And through this work, I was able to understand her and realize her presence in my life. And I realized that everything I did, I was running through this filter of I'm stupid. So I wouldn't speak up at work. On things that I believed in. I wouldn't do this because I was like, I didn't want to do certain things because I didn't want people to see that I was stupid. So that's how that journey began. But it it changed my relationship with my husband. It changed my relationship with my kids. It literally changed my entire life. Like that's within a year, I quit my job. I did. I completely changed everything. And why I went into mindset coaching and it's so meaningful to me is because I rewired my brain to get to where I am now. But I didn't realize it was an issue until he said that. And I just thought it was our relationship. Well, he's, even though I'm the one working and he's unemployed right now, I still saw him as superior and me inferior. And it was only because that was my 11 year old self that would show up in those moments. Wow. Crazy, right? Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, I, I've, listen, I've been teaching meditation for years and all that. And I'm a believer and it's so interesting. It has to be. It has to be our own idea, like asking, totally. telling someone to meditate. It's like asking them to give you the, you know, their bank account information and just like, you know, it's, it's really it until it's your idea until that thing happens, whatever that is, whether it's like you go into your 11 year old self, someone actually, once say, calls you out on it, but, um, mentions it, like, why do you do this? You're like, oh, like, oh gosh, I do that.
1: Yeah, Why do I do that? And I was 35 years old at that point. And I'm like, why do I do that? I don't know. But then that whole journey set me up when I started to like really, because I realized in order to get to your future, you have to go through your past and you have to close some doors of the past to be able to get to your future. And that's kind of the journey that I went on. But it helped me to see why I chose certain partners in relationships, why I chose certain jobs, why I stayed here longer than I should have Why was I with that person? Like, you could start to see the trend in all the people. My husband's exactly opposite of everybody I ever dated. And I'm like, oh, isn't that interesting? Like, as you start to look at it, yeah, it's because I was trying to finally, like, figuring myself out because I didn't get married till I was 30. But, and honestly, like, I had a lot of gaps where I never even dated or wanted a relationship because I was so focused on my career and because of all the issues with my dad and my brothers this is part of the book where i talk about like i didn't trust a man i assume men would make you cry and they're going to be dishonest with you because that was the environment that i grew up in and they're just going to be drunks and that's what it's going to be and i didn't want any like, deal don't with it <laughs> i don't deal with that i'm like pro woman i am going to run an office and drive a sports car and wear sassy shoes and designer sunglasses. Like that was my sole focus, but I can do it all by myself. I can do it all by myself. I was even okay with, you know, going to have a baby by myself. Like I was totally like, that was going to be, cause I could not get past trusting a man from the, from the environment that oh, I grew up in.
0: Yeah. But then I met
1: this guy, Nick, and he totally changed everything. We met on match.com and was engaged two months later. (laughs)
0: What? I did not know that. He rocked my world.
1: Now we're 13 years in and it's been the most amazing journey ever.
0: I love it. I love it. Anything else you want to tell me about the book? Maybe some things that I haven't seen, like what's, what's inside for us?
1: Yeah. So the book is really all about different adventures. I shouldn't say adventures; different things that I'd gone through in my life that I rediscovered in my selfish hours and was able to like, I say, it's almost like I was looking into a crystal ball and was able to look back at my life and go, that's why you did that. And this is why this happened. And it leads it all up to different journeys throughout my life of I call it some of the villains, like I said, my life was kind of like a video game, but the biggest villain that I had and all of it was really my mind and going through everything I did and learning how to tame that villain throughout all of it. And really, I had to create a relationship with that 11-year-old me in order to get through it. But what I read in so many books when I was going through this was forget about it, push it away, don't think about it. And that didn't work for me because I'm like, 11-year-old me is in my DNA. It's who I am. She shows up all the time for me. So it was really, I was watching Frozen for the gajillionth time with my daughters. (laughs) Right. And Elsa was on there and she was trying to fight her power inside of her. She was trying to fight her younger self. And then she goes, oh, it's love. If you just love her, and that was my breakthrough moment to really understand how to connect to my younger self instead of pushing her away or trying to drown her out with alcohol or lift weights to push her out. Literally, if I just loved on her, and that was the shift that I talk about in the book instead of pushing away my younger self, I loved her and I let her know that she is, she's heard and she's seen and she's safe and she's okay. And I got this. And that was the big shift for me. Don't push that younger part of you away because all she ever wanted was to be loved and accepted yeah. and heard.
0: And I think the more we push that away, there are opportunities, things that happen in our life that they're going to bring that, all of that up to the surface. And it's usually, and this is what I've learned in my own life and what I see in my friends and my clients, it's going to be at the worst possible time, you know, someone dies, just say this happened in my family and all hell broke loose. And then everybody's everything comes out at this weird time. And I'm like, I was talking to my dad about something that happened. I won't go into it right now, but he's just like, I just can't believe this is happening. I'm like, really? You can't believe this is happening I'm like that's what happens. This is how it works. This is what happens when we push all that down. It is going to come up in the worst time. Yep. So dealing with it I think is that um you know, planning ahead of time almost <laughs> that we talk about in coaching like okay, if we push it off, which you know, we're all guilty of like I don't want to think about that, but dealing with it right now and just like, okay, this really sucks, but Sorry, this really sucks, but I'm gonna deal with it so I don't have to, it doesn't have to blow up later. You know, I see absolutely that a lot of people, the blow up, right?
1: 100 percent And that's that's I talk a lot that about that a lot in the book as well, but the book is super relatable because I talk about these mindset struggles, your younger version of yourself, um, comparison and why I wanted my daughter to dress a certain way so moms wouldn't judge me and all of these. Yeah. Absolutely. And then I real I realized when she was in tears that she didn't care what she dressed like, she was comfortable and she was happy. But it was me trying to fit in so moms weren't like, Well, why is her daughter dressed all crazy in her hair? And now we have a rule in our house where like as long as it's weather appropriate, you wear what you want, be Betsy Johnson and go out there and <laughs> yeah. rock it. Like, I don't even but it those are the lessons that are in the book and it's super relatable. Even there is one chapter. Towards the end, where there's a me too chapter where I went through my own struggles with an abusive relationship, just like everybody else. And here's what happened. I shouldn't say just like everybody else, like several people have gone through.
0: A lot of us, yeah.
1: I was on a big coaching session. There was a hundred people on a Zoom, and it's a free like free coaching where you could just raise your hand and say, Hey, this is really what I need coaching on. And the one woman started out by saying. I was sexually abused when I was younger and, um, I don't have, feel like I have a voice today. So I'm trying to build a business, but my, my voice, I don't, I don't feel like I have a voice to come out and say the things. And it's really holding me back. And she was probably in her fifties that said this, and that happened in her, you know, young years. And then what happened on this call was like,
0: all the hands raised up, all the hands
1: went up. The chat went crazy. And I'm sitting there trying to control this zoom where i just had like this breakdown and i am it was really eye-opening to see i bet you 70 percent of the call i'm sure some of the women didn't even speak up but the one woman was in her 70s and started crying and said i've never spoke about it can you imagine holding on to that for so many years and living with that so many so yeah and then I get off the call, and later that night, my husband's like, How was your day? And I like told him about it. And he goes, Well, did you share your story? And I go, Well, what are you talking about? I, because I was so into coaching and I was so about everybody else on that call, like it had nothing to do with me. I was just I'm being to think about me. <laughs> well, I was just so present for everybody yeah. else. And then he's like, You should have shared your story. And I was like, I I totally forgot because I, like everybody else, shove it in this little corner of my mind of what happened and didn't. So I brought that out in the book and I talk about my own experience with being in an abusive relationship in my teens with my first boyfriend.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think so many women are going to really, really get so much out of that because once we start talking about the things like, Hey, we're both not drinking. I, in my thirties, I would have been like, that's never going to happen. No. Yeah. That's in my fifties. I'm like, it's the best thing I can sleep. <laughs> <off to laughs> I can sleep. Uh, I don't feel awful. And like, I'm like wondering why, why do I feel so bad? All-
1: <laughs> yeah. So, so this book, I just share all of the skeletons in my closet are out there. And I had a little bit of fear about that too, because I'm like, my daughters are going to read this book someday and be like, whoa. So mom struggled with drinking. She was in an abusive relationship. She had really bad mindset issues. She did all these things, but the book is written from a place of healed. like of healing. It's not not written.
0: Totally going through it. Not a
1: victim. It is not a victim book. It is a place of healing. So I, so I share my stories, but I also give practical tips of like, this is how I went through it. This is what helped. Like, here's some things that you can do to help yourself with this too. And after the book launches, I'm also going to do a six week course of the selfish hours. So I could help women create their own selfish hours, learn how to create boundaries, learn how to create schedules. So you're prioritizing yourself and not everybody else first. And I just really want to teach other women how to do this because to me, it's life. It's literally changed my life
0: just to be able to put me first.
1: So I redefine selfish in the book. Because a lot of times, especially moms or working women will hear the word selfish and be like, I don't want to be selfish. And they instantly put a negative connotation to it. But what I define selfish as is taking care of oneself first and filling your cup so you can pour more into others. And being selfish really means you care so much about others that you're willing to put yourself first to be the best for yourself and everybody else. So selfish really means love for oneself first.
0: I love it. I, when I owned my yoga studio, um, we would have women come in and they would just be all into it. And then sometimes, you know, as you do, you just, you quit coming to yoga or whatever. And I would see them I'm like, Oh, Hey, you're back. And they're like, yeah, my family, They would either say my fan, my husband or my kids or my boss was like, you go to yoga because you're just better. You are less stressed. You're not shouty that hour, hour and a half of whatever it is, whatever time of the day it is, I think you see the difference, but it's not until you kind of take it away or you quit doing the thing. You're, you know, you're like, am I this person? What happened? So getting back into that selfish hour, I am a thousand percent on board with that. It's so huge. And it's, it's absolutely needed. And if people say it's not, or
1: people say, I can't fit it into my day. Then I challenge you to look at your phone because it'll tell you how long you're on social media. Oh, you scrolled social media for two and a half hours today. Don't tell me you can't stop an hour of that and work on yourself. It gives you
0: a breakdown of the week. I'm like,
1: what? (laughs) Yeah. I don't, mm -mm. you do have the time. You're
0: just choosing not to do it. Exactly. Well, wrapping up here, um, Just kind of just highlight, what do you want people to take away from our conversation today? Um,
1: We didn't really say this word and hear a lot, but in our coaching, in my book, in, in a lot of what we do, it's all about choice. And you get to choose the life that you want, the thoughts that you want, the direction that you want your life to go. It is all about choice. And the reason that you and I are even on this zoom is that we chose to become certified life coaches. We chose, you chose to start a podcast. Like you chose to move things forward. So many women that I see, they just settle. Oh, this is what it is. This is what life dealt me. This is how I do it. And they feel like they don't have a choice. And the biggest thing for all of your listeners is to say that you are in full control and you do have a choice. A choice of your thoughts and a choice of your feelings. I try to teach my girls all the time because they'll say, she made me do this, or she made me feel this way. And I'm always like, no one can tell you how you feel. You choose that because if I can teach them before they're 11 years old, what I had to learn in my forties,
0: can you imagine, can
1: you imagine what oh they are God, capable of? It. So that's my biggest thing to, for people to take away from this is like, the whole part of my book is all about like, I just realized I had a choice. And when I I said the beginning, like I created a life from a life I didn't want, that was my choice. And I just moved in that direction to make it happen.
0: You are absolutely an example of what is possible. Be the person, be the example of what's possible. And you're like, I I have, it. (laughs) I can do that. Yeah. And I mean, you were the perfect example of what's possible. I love uh, the the whole line of, you know, discomfort. Is- discomfort
1: is the currency of yes. our dreams. 100%. Yes. Because choices can be done, but they're not always, they're not easy. No, Like they're still going to be like, <laughs> I talked about it this weekend. Sometimes when I'm on stage and I'm speaking, like things come out and I'm like, I can't believe I just shared that. <laughs> but I would be on the floor, like crying in the fetal position, of like, why did I quit my six figure job? I can't believe I did this. I screwed up our entire life. But then I would get up and show up, and then I would shake it off, and I'd rewrite my thoughts, and I would show up on social, or I would do a live, or I would message some people, and I would do things and move my business forward. And then when nobody would respond, I would cry again, and like, what am I doing? And like that, like. You can make choices to move your life forward, but it doesn't mean it's not going to come without discomfort and without awkwardness and without struggles, but it's always be bigger than your biggest excuse. Cause you're going to have all these excuses that say, go watch Netflix Go, you don't have to do that. Just go do laundry. Go be productive. You don't need to move your business forward. But you have to be bigger than any excuse that you can give yourself. And that is the only reason that my life is moving forward at the trajectory that it is is I keep being bigger than my biggest excuse. That's it because there's a lot of excuses.
0: <laughs> yeah, we could always find a good excuse. Thank you so much, Megan, ok. One more time. Plug everything before oh
1: uh-huh. May third, you can buy the book, Amazon. Anywhere you buy books, you can get The Selfish Hour available on May 3rd, or you can get a sneak peek of the intro and the first chapter you can download at my website, meganspeaks.com, dot com, And through there, you can also link over to my social media, Instagram, Facebook, follow me everywhere. And let me know that you heard me on this podcast. Book. Thank you so much. I love you so much. Thank you. I love you too. This was fantastic. I can have, I could talk to you for like another couple hours.
0: Okay. So before we go, I have something special for you. I have created a three step guide to creating peace with your mother. This three step guide is filled with relationship insights, tips, and thoughtful questions to help you create peace with your mother. And there is a bonus for you. It's a healing meditation for your most challenging relationships. It's called The Healing Thread. The link to the guide is in the show notes. And on the top banner of my website, just go to rachelkhudson.com.